Muriel Bowser, the Democrat mayor of Washington, D.C., has just declared a public emergency in the district after 11,000 illegal aliens have arrived on buses that were sent from Texas and Arizona. Now, that number is nothing compared to the total number of illegal aliens who pour across the border into border towns every single day. But for some reason, Mayor Bowser thinks it constitutes a state of emergency, which is really strange. Since I have been reliably informed by the liberal media that mass illegal migration, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, they call it diversity, is actually our greatest strength. So how is it? Maybe you can help me figure this out. How is it that our greatest strength is now an emergency? Luckily, we have D.C. Council Lady Brianne Nadeau to explain. So it's been said, but it's worth reiterating that the governors of Texas and Arizona have created this crisis. And the federal government has not stepped up to assist the District of Columbia. So we, um, along with our regional partners, will do what we've always done. We'll rise to the occasion. We've learned from border towns like El Paso and Brownsville. Um, and in many ways, the governors of Texas and Arizona have turned us into a border town. We don't know how long this will take to resolve. We don't know how long they will continue busing. You hear that? Those awful red state governors have turned liberal Washington, D.C. into a border town. Could you imagine the horror? Even though, wait a minute, haven't liberal politicians in Washington, D.C. been telling us that there's nothing bad at all going on in the border towns? Because illegal immigration is our strength? What's so bad about becoming a border town? I thought it was perfectly fine to be. Oh, now, now you're experiencing it and you're realizing it's not so great when it's in your backyard. Just a few years ago, this very same lady, this council lady, who is complaining about illegal aliens showing up in D.C., tweeted out, quote, the district is a sanctuary city, which means our law enforcement does not cooperate with ICE. As council member, I have called for an abolition of ICE and wrote D.C.'s law to establish a permanent immigrant legal services fund. But you see, you see, that was back when illegal immigrants were not really showing up to Washington, D.C., back when illegal immigration was a problem created by Washington politicians for red states to deal with. Now that D.C. is getting a taste of its own medicine, the lies and the disingenuous narratives are falling apart. And even the libs themselves are tacitly admitting that the only reason they consider illegal immigration to be our strength is that it allows them to weaken their political opponents, namely us. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Alan921, who says, I think if it were at all possible, the video about the life of Queen Elizabeth II would have been a great eulogy. We didn't just lose an amazing woman. We have lost what little remains of the traditional Western culture. God save the queen. Thank, thanks so much. I really appreciate that. You know, I did my show yesterday and then there was news that the queen was ailing and then she died uh, not, not long after the show, a few hours after the show. Uh, and I knew I had the show today, but I just felt the moment was so important and uh, it was eliciting rightly, justifiably, I think, a very strong reaction from people. I said, I've just got to go live. I got to do an extra show today. And so that's up on YouTube. I think we put it on the RSS feed 
as well. Uh, that's where most of my thoughts on the passing of Queen Elizabeth will be. But I, I've, I've been really uh, surprised. I, maybe I shouldn't have been surprised because I know that she was so beloved. Um, but I've, I've been really pleased to see the positive response that that uh, video has gotten. I've gotten a lot of messages, in particular from, from the UK and from overseas. But I appreciate that. If you want to hear that, you can go to the RSS feed or uh, elsewhere on the YouTube channel. Uh, you know, because the woman was really important. She was described as a golden thread uh, uniting the entire uh, United Kingdom. And speaking of gold, have you checked out Birch Gold? Right now, text Knowles to 989898. The Biden administration recently announced a plan to hire 87,000 new IRS agents in 2023, many of whom will be bearing arms as they hunt for your money. You need to secure your savings in a tax-sheltered account right now. Not yesterday, not, not tomorrow. Do it right now, okay? Birch Gold can help you do just that. Birch Gold Group helps you hold gold and silver in a tax-sheltered retirement account to protect you from the government. Plus, throughout history, gold has always been your best hedge against inflation. A diversified savings can protect you from downturns in the market. If you have a 401k or IRA that is underperforming, just text Knowles to 989898, and you can convert that into an IRA in precious metals right now. Birch Gold Group has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of satisfied customers. Text Knowles, Canada View, L-E-S, to 989898, and Birch Gold will send you a free info kit on diversifying into gold tax-free. Take the necessary steps to hedge against inflation today. Protect your hard-earned money. Get your free info kit now by texting Knowles to 989898. That is, the big story, of course, right now is the passing of Queen Elizabeth. And it's, it's taken the whole focus of the world because people feel as though a, a great age is gone now. You know, our, our last connection to this great age when Western civilization seemed to flourish more, seemed to make more sense, is, is finally gone. And we knew it was going to come. The woman was 96 years old, but it doesn't make it any less sad. Uh, there have been some really off-key responses I've noticed this, uh, especially from people on the left, who, while they while they may actually have liked the woman, and while they may be trying to be polite on her passing, they they don't like monarchy, they don't like tradition, they don't like Western civilization, so they don't really like anything that the woman stood for, and and so it, it's created a, a real challenge in the way that they respond to this. Yesterday, before the news came that the Queen had died, the White House was asked about her ailing, the fact that all of her family members were traveling to her, the, the fact that it seemed like uh, time was short. The, the response from Corinne Jean-Pierre, I think, tells you everything you need to know about how the left is, how the left stands at this moment in history. On Queen Elizabeth, she served for nearly a third of American history. So how does President Biden view the special relationship between the U.S. and the U.K. if there were to be a transition in the British monarchy? So don't want to, you know, we feel like it's inappropriate to talk about uh, hypotheticals here. Um, we, but we, what I will say about the relationship uh, with, the, with the United Kingdom, as the president uh, said in celebration of Queen's Platinum Jubilee, which is not too long ago, under, and this is quote, under her reign, the relationship between the United Kingdom and the United States has grown stronger and closer uh, than ever. Uh, the president, as you all know, has known the Queen for over three decades. Uh, he's, met, he's met her personally three times, once was in June of 2021, uh, over the years, including, as 
as I said twice last year. Uh, again, uh, we see uh, this relationship uh, is uh, stronger, grows stronger every, um, uh, close stronger and closer. Uh, and, uh, and again, our hearts, uh, the president's, uh, uh, as he said, uh, our thoughts and our hearts are with the queen, her family, uh, and also uh, the people of the United Kingdom. Okay, perfectly nice thing to say. I'm not criticizing the sentiment at all. I am criticizing the language. Did you hear what she said? She said, and, and she apparently was quoting the president here. Our thoughts and our hearts are, are with the queen. That's a strange phrase. You don't hear that. Our, our thoughts and hearts are with you. That phrase is a substitute for our thoughts and prayers are with you but the White House can't bring itself to say prayers. The left has made a point in recent years of mocking the phrase thoughts and prayers. And they mock thoughts and prayers because they believe that prayers are not efficacious because they don't believe in God. And, and the White House, as the chief representative of the American left, can't bring itself to, to use that phrase either. I, I promise you that was intentional, the omission of the word prayers. And maybe Maybe some of them do believe in prayers, but they feel like the base is so atheistic that they can't use the phrase. Or maybe, as I suspect, the, the administration is just not, not particularly Christian, not particularly uh, religious, kind of mocks all of those things. I, unfortunately, I think it's the latter. Really sad, because Queen Elizabeth, <laughs> in, from the earliest days of her reign, was a defender of religion and public religion, private religion too, and private faith. And she viewed herself as serving God. And I, I, I think she did serve God. And, and she said, look, people are in this modern world, they're trying to toss out all the ageless truths and the ageless ideals, namely religion. The first on the list was religion. And, we, and she said, we, we really shouldn't do that. When we, when we lose that, we're really lost. And it, it, when I heard that statement from the White House, it, it deepened my sense of dread that we were going to lose the queen. Because I thought, man, you guys... You guys just don't get it. <laughs> no one seems to get it. Or maybe they do get it and they're, they're happy. Not that the woman has passed, but that that age has passed and that sense of tradition and dignity and, and the notion that one serves one's family and community and country and ultimately one serves one's God. So many people at funerals think, after they finish thinking about the person who has died, they turn their thoughts onto themselves. <laughs> And sometimes people cry at funerals because they're thinking of their own mortality. And it's a natural reaction. And I think a lot of people are thinking that way with the passing of Queen Elizabeth. We're thinking about ourselves. What does this mean for the world that we're living in? I had this thought last year. I, I went to my friend's wedding in France and took sweet little Elisa and the babies. And we made a whole family trip out of it. And we're walking around Paris and sweet little Elisa, out of nowhere, she's looking at the building. She goes, man. That's obviously Elisa's voice. Man, Mac, why can't we have these beautiful things? How come, how come the French get beautiful things? Why don't we get beautiful things? So that's a great question. Because there are, there are beautiful buildings in America. There's obviously a lot of beautiful geography, but there, there's some, some beautiful art, some beautiful buildings, but not a lot. They're kind of few and far between. And most of the buildings that have been built in the last century have just been these kind of glass and steel monstrosities or this brutalist, hideous sort of architecture. And you walk around a city that's from another age, older cities, and you think, this is so beautiful. Why can't we have that? 
And that, that is the point of the monarchy. That is the point of the royal family. And the, the last really prominent one is in the United Kingdom, is to give the nation something to look up to. And it's a service role. I mean, they, they, you know, these are, uh, these are people whose job it is to serve the country. They happen to wear tiaras, but th- their job is to go out and open up grocery stores and help encourage the country. And, but it's to give them a sense of dignity, not just efficiency, not just uh, you know, ticking up the GDP a little further, but a sense of dignity, a sense of tradition, a sense of culture, a sense of art. And, and the question that we have is, why can't we have that here? We have a different political tradition. I think, I think we could keep cast our eyes up a little bit, but we've, we've really got to dig in deep and not just cast away all of the past. You know, when, when the queen died, there were rainbows that appeared over Buckingham Palace and, and over Windsor Castle. When the queen died, there was a double rainbow over Buckingham Palace. And then when they lowered the flag to half mast, very briefly, a giant rainbow appeared over Windsor Castle. And it's, it's not lost on me either that the queen died on Merrymas, on the feast of the nativity of Mary, queen of heaven and earth. I don't think that's just a coincidence. You know, I, I believe in providence. I think that's, you know, providence is when God kind of peeks out from behind the curtain and winks at you. And it is, it is a great consolation because it's a reminder that no matter how, how useless our good works seem to be, no matter how pointless it seems to be to live a good life in a culture that doesn't really seem to reward that all that much. There is an order to things. There is an overarching providence. And we can see it peek out every now and again. And it's, it's a great encouragement. When you want to encourage one and another, you've got to check out Pure Talk. That way you can talk to each other. Right now, go to puretalk.com, enter promo code Knowles, because in a world of takers, Pure Talk wants to give you something. That's right. Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, takers. They take too much of your money every single month for way more data than you are ever going to need. Pure Talk, which is my cell phone company, gives you choices. You only pay for the data that you need. That is how the average family saves over 75 bucks every single month. With Pure Talk, it's easy to find the right plan for you and your family Unlimited talk, text, choose from data plans from two gigs per month to unlimited with a mobile hotspot. It's whatever you want. All, by the way, on America's most reliable 5G network. So you're not sacrificing any coverage whatsoever. Here's something else Pure Talk is going to give you. This month, when you switch to Pure Talk, you pay for one month. Pure Talk will give you the month number two for free. So do this right now. Go to puretalk.com, choose your plan, then enter promo code Knowles at checkout, get your second month for free. That's puretalk.com, enter promo code Knowles to switch to my cell phone company, Pure Talk. Speaking of rainbows, great news out of Utah and Boise. A Utah-based bank has just pulled a sponsorship from an upcoming Boise Pride Festival in backlash to a, a drag kids show where children as young as 11 were set to perform. Uh, They say, over the years, Zion's Bank has supported a variety of pride events because they are an important part of our support for LGBTQ employees and allies and are representative of our efforts to foster an inclusive, diverse, and equitable workplace and community. This support for all of our employees uh, and communities remains unchanged. But they said, we're not, we can't do the kids stuff, okay? <laughs> we're, we're really open-minded. We'll even support kind of weird sexual parades in the streets, but just leave the kids out of it, please. And the Boise Pride response was, we can't. We can't. 
Boise says, Miners have participated in the Boise Pride Festival both on and off stage for many years. Pride and inclusivity do not begin at age 18. You know, this story was just going around yesterday. I, I assume it has to date back to Pride Month, although who knows? Actually, now not only is Pride Month in June, Pride, there's another version of Pride Month in October, which is the LGBTQ History Month. So a full sixth of the year is now dedicated to uh, eccentric sexual behaviors. Pretty soon it's probably going to be the whole year. Regardless though, of whether this was June or October, the, the point remains the same. The, the important takeaway here is the libs have to push this on kids. They have to. I know a lot of people who are kind of moderate or in the center, they'll say, wow, this is just so crazy. The the left, the sexual revolutionaries, they can get away with all the pride stuff they want and put it in public and probably march the, the parade around City Hall. They can get some of the Biden administration officials who go to satanic leather fetish parties and they could probably get them to give a keynote speech. They could get away with all of it if they would just leave the kids out of it. Why are these people so stupid? Why are they so stubborn that they have to involve the kids? But they, they have to involve the kids because if they don't, then they are admitting that the, the events are obscene, right? The reason to exclude the kids is because this is sexually explicit, obscene behavior. But if it's sexually explicit, obscene behavior, why would we have it in, in the public square at all? If, this is why they have to trans the kids too. There are people who are in the middle and centrists who say, come on, look, if an adult wants to chop his genitals off, that's fine. Just don't, just don't make the kids do it. But they, they have to make the kids do it <laughs> because if they don't have the kids do it, then they are admitting that it doesn't really make a lot of sense and it's actually probably disordered and wrong. And you've at least got to wait for, if a kid's going to do something so destructive as chopping his own genitals off, he should, you shouldn't do it when he's 12. He should at least wait until he's 18 or 21 or something. But, but if it's very likely disordered and destructive and, and all those things, then the adult shouldn't be doing it either. Okay, the, the, what the libs are doing here is just taking their own premises to their logical conclusions. Men can really be women. Women can really be men. If a man or a woman is sexually confused, they should chop off their genitals. Okay, if that's the premise, then absolutely, you've got to take it all the way and kids should do it too. Frankly, kids especially should do it because once puberty sets in, it's going to be a lot harder to, through plastic surgery, make, make yourself look like the opposite sex. So that, and that's, and that's the argument that the honest libs are making right now. And it makes sense. The problem with it is that the premise is wrong. The problem with it is that the premise that boys can really be girls, that's a wrong premise. The problem with the pride parade here is that the premise that the pride parade is wholesome family fun is just wrong. It's not. It's a, a it's a sexual show. So you might say, okay, if you don't want to ban it, if you don't, if you don't want to make pass a law against these weird sex shows, fine. They should be in the back dark dingy nightclubs in back, dark, dingy alleys of the neighborhoods that the wholesome people don't go to. <laughs> okay. And there have been shows in those neighborhoods forever, but there, there have been weird things on the fringes of society since time immemorial. But you really get into trouble when you take those things that are on the fringes of society and put them right into the center, right into the middle of the town square. That's just absurd. That, that goes way beyond tolerance. That, that, that takes tolerance into the realm truly into the realm of the absurd. So the libs have to double down on all this stuff. And they're doubling down, speaking of our friends in the United Kingdom, they're doubling down by turning a beloved British children's cartoon gay as well. Peppa Pig. I don't, I've never watched Peppa Pig. I guess I could have started to watch it with my children soon, but I now have no intention of doing that. Peppa Pig 
has gone gay. Everything else is gay, so Peppa Pig has gone gay too. Uh, critics have apparently taken issue with Peppa Pig because it glorifies the family. And by the family, I mean what is now called the traditional family. I just call it the family, but it's the traditional family. You know, mommy and daddy and the kids, and they live together, and they, they uh, are educated together, and they, you know, have dinners together, and they function as a family. Well, some critics have taken issue with that because on the left, they want to destroy the family because the family is a great impediment to their cultural and political revolutions. So in 2019, they started a petition that demanded that the series creators add a same-sex couple. Not just a same-sex couple, by the way, a same-sex couple with adopted or surrogate children. I don't know how they got children, but with children, you know, they want to create this kind of mimicry, this, this, um, this imitation of a family with all the kind of sexual revolution stuff built in. And so they start this petition. It obviously has nothing to do with the plot line of the show. They just demand it because it will make them feel better about their own sort of sexual ideologies and and delusions. The petition has garnered over 23,000 signatures, and now Peppa Pig has given in. They introduced a a lesbian couple, and then the the little baby Peppa Pig says, quote, I live with my mummy and my other mummy. So the reaction from this that you're going to hear from not just the conservatives, but from the centrist people and the independent people and the, the ones who maybe even they're center left and they say, why does, there, why does everything have to be so political? Why does everything have to be so woke? Come on. Why, why did, can't you leave the cartoons alone? This is a very common refrain that you hear from very reasonable people, but there's an answer to it. Why does everything have to be woke? Because you won't stop it. That's why. Because in politics, the people who want something are always going to win against the people who are indifferent. That's why. Because the the people who, for whatever ideological or sexual or appetitive reasons, want there to be a couple of lesbians on this kid's cartoon, they're willing to just go out there and whine and whine and complain and beg and shout and boycott and do whatever. And the people who don't want that very often are not even willing to make an argument against it. Why should there not be a lesbian couple with kids on the children's cartoon? The answer is because it's disordered. It's very disordered, and two ladies cannot create a child together. And so the only way to do that is by reordering our adoption system or creating all sorts of new bioethical concerns through surrogacy and and in, in vitro fertilization and buying a man's sperm and renting a woman's womb and all the rest of it. And it's all disordered and it's wrong and it's <laughs> morally unacceptable. And that's why it shouldn't be there. Very few conservatives are willing to say that because they don't want to be called phobic or bigoted or intolerant or whatever. And so they don't want to say that. All the conservatives are going to say is, come on, don't you think, why does it, why has it got to be so woke? It's got to be so woke because you won't articulate the argument against it and you won't sign any petitions and you won't demand it. And so the people who are motivated and who are eager and, and who do have a plan and a vision for society, they're the ones who are going to win. And these kind of pathetic platitudes for neutrality or just, come on, let's slow things down or, hey, let's leave the kids alone. It's not going to go anywhere. Everything has to be so woke because the woke people can get away with it. That's why. They can get away with it because you let them get away. We we got a story from, from social media that's just 
once again, the woke people getting away with it. Headline here on Axios, sort of a center left outlet. Scoop snaps, Snapchat, snaps political data slip. Okay, here's how they describe it. A slip up by social media giant Snap allowed leading Democratic campaigns and party committees to unwittingly tap into a vast repository of Republican voter data to hone their midterm ads. Oops. Ah, <laughs> oh, darn. Oh, I just, those darn slip-ups. Those darn slip-ups, they're so frustrating because they're always made so unwittingly, aren't they? And it's just such a weird, unwitting coincidence that the slip-ups always benefit the Democrats and they never benefit the Republicans. Oops. Oopsie daisy. Yeah, the FBI got the FISA warrant wrong and they actually didn't. Yeah, they didn't have any reason to spy on the Trump campaign. That was a big mistake. Our bad. Yeah, our bad. We totally won't do this again. Whoopsie daisy. Oops. Hillary Clinton had a private email server where she had classified information. And at the same time, she was raising a ton of money from foreign governments for her own personal charity, charity, quote unquote, to pay her own bills. Oops. Oopsie daisy. No big deal. Whoops. What a slip up. We won't let that happen again. Oh, by the way, oops, former President Trump took some documents from the White House, as lots of presidents have done. Yeah, we're going to kick in his door. We're not letting that slip up go through. Uh-uh. No siree. Uh, we, we caught that mistake. We just don't catch it when social media companies give Democrats a major advantage in the, in the elections. Oopsie. I think those slip-ups are going to keep happening. They're going to keep unwittingly happening unless we stop them. Unless we on the happy occasions that we can get any political power. And it's always going to be an uphill battle because let's say the Republicans retake the House. Maybe there's a shot we retake the Senate. We're still not going to have the bureaucracy. We're not going to have the presidency. We sort of have the Supreme Court, but it's marginal. We don't have the media. We don't have big tech. We don't have the universities. We don't don't have really any of the, the other power centers. But okay, we could get a little bit of the government. We have to wield that power. We have to wield the force of big government. <laughs> you know, this will make certain American conservatives feel uneasy, but we have to wield the force of big government against our political adversaries in a just way, in a moral way, in an appropriate way. But we have to do it because these slip-ups are not just. These slip-ups are not appropriate. These slip-ups are not moral. You can't have a good system with these slip-ups. The slip-ups aren't slip-ups, okay? They're just Democrats taking advantage because they know they can get away with it. Speaking of slip-ups, you might recall what was this, a week or two ago? There was a trade show, trade conference for podcasting called Podcast Movement that held its convention. And since the Daily Wire is the sixth largest publishing network in the world, and since Ben Shapiro in particular is always in one of the very tippy top ranked podcasts, but all of our shows consistently chart very, very high up on, uh, in, in podcasting among all shows, not just among political shows or conservative shows. Because of that, the Daily Wire had a booth there and Ben showed up and took some pictures with some fans who were at the, at the podcast movement. And then he walked out. That was it. And podcast movement issued this long uh, condemnation of Ben and Daily Wire and said it's unacceptable. And, you know, pe- people felt unsafe. And, you know, it was really, really bizarre kind of behavior and r- really wrong. Well, I've got 
some good news on that front. A podcast movement then posted. Uh, they said, we're listening to the podcast movement community. Uh, we're putting in place policies to guide our social media with inclusivity and diversity and respect. It's a journey, right? That was, that was part of their condemnation of Ben. But then they just, just yesterday tweeted out, quote, as we stated, we're continuing to evaluate our policies guiding social media and events with inclusivity, diversity, and respect for all. We have to start by sincerely apologizing to Mr. Shapiro for our reaction when he visited a booth we sold to his company. That wasn't right. And, uh, that's all true. That's good. And I, I also know that the president of podcast movement did call Jeremy and made very, very clear that the behavior of podcast movement was unacceptable. And he, you know, he took it like a man, the president of podcast movement, and he called and he did the right thing. And he apologized. And he said what they did was just, was just totally wrong. And, and so my reaction here, I know that some people would like to, you know, double down and keep, keep hitting podcast movement. But I think we live in an age that is so graceless and where no one ever gets to hear a sincere apology or no one usually accepts a sincere apology. So I think it's good. I'm glad podcast movement apologized. We accept the apology. Good. That's good. They did the right thing. I appreciate that they did the right thing. So people very rarely do the right thing anymore. They just double down when they're, when they're so obviously wrong. And so uh, that's good. I, I appreciate that. I think it's very big of podcast movement to do that. And I'm, I'm pleased to see it. Not just for us, but, but for what it means for conservatives in the podcasting space and, uh, uh, and in the culture and in the public square. So good, good stuff. Appreciate that. Good job, podcast movement. Speaking of uh, double standards, this is a, a really crazy story. A, a Democrat public official has just been arrested on suspicion of murdering a reporter. And you probably haven't heard anything about this story. Uh, there was a story, you saw the headlines the other day, in, in maybe some conservative outlets, that a reporter from Nevada, who some said had been doing a report on that, that shooting in Las Vegas, but I'm not sure that that was necessarily the key. The reporter just generally had been investigating crime and corruption. Uh, this guy ended up murdered. And, and now the chief suspect is this Clark County Democrat official whose uh, DNA was found at the scene. Uh, the, the guy is the Clark, Clark County public administrator, Robert Tellies. He was just booked. Uh, I mentioned the story because we talked about the double standards yesterday on racism. You know, the, the libs, when they, when they use this phrase, racism, it doesn't mean anything. They are, whatever racism could possibly mean, they're much more guilty of it than the Republicans. And the Republicans sort of fecklessly say, no, no, you're the real racist and it doesn't matter. You're the hypocrites. Yeah, okay, they know that. They don't care, okay? They, they're going to do it anyway because they can get an advantage over you. Same thing with political violence. The libs decry political violence. They commit much, much more political violence than the conservatives have, even just in the last few years. Again, we point out the double standard. No, nobody really cares. Well, I, I would like to point it out just again, only for the conservatives to realize this. It's true on journalism too. The libs attack journalists much more than the conservatives do. The Obama administration was very, very tough on journalists. Uh, we, we remember really bizarre political pressure on reporters like James Rosen or Cheryl Atkinson. Uh, but now we're seeing this a Democrat official murdering a uh, 
and an investigative reporter for, for looking into corruption. I mention it not because I think that pointing out the double standard is finally going to shift the narrative. No, I don't think it will. I mention it just as a little encouragement to conservatives when, and, and to people in the center. When the libs start getting on their soapbox about how the Republicans are threatening a free press, just remember, it's completely bogus. It's a pointless argument. It's not true. Anything that they are saying about the Republicans, they are projecting. They are confessing what they themselves are doing. So just ignore it. I'm not, I'm not encouraging people to just, you know, go out and point out the hypocrisy and, and that's how we're going to win the argument. No, that's not going to happen. They don't care. They know about the hypocrisy. They just want to get one over on us. But I, I'm saying this as a word of encouragement to the Republicans. Just ignore it. It means nothing. It's just a cheap political lie. Move on, okay? These, these guys are just trying to take advantage of you. Now, I'm very, very excited that we will get to my absolute favorite time of the week, when I get to hear from all of you in the mailbag. Our mailbag is sponsored by Pure Talk. Go to puretalk.com, select a plan, enter promo code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to get your second month for free. Let's take it away with the voice mailbag. Hello, Michael. I'll save you the backstory, but my wife and I were recently discussing what we would like to happen with our bodies after we die, be it burial, cremation, or something else. I'm curious about what, what option you think is best. I'd assume you're a proponent of traditional burials. Maybe there's a Catholic teaching behind that I'm unaware of. Anyway, if my assumption is correct, I'd like to know why you think that way and what reasons there are behind being against cremation, for example. And if I'm wrong, I'd be surprised, but if you do think differently, then please elaborate. Thanks, Michael. Yes, I'm very much against cremation. I am for burial or a mausoleum, if you want to get fancy. But I'm very much against cremation. The, the, the church traditionally opposed cremation and forbade it. Uh, in recent years, they've gone softer on cremation, but I still oppose it. Uh, and the reason I oppose it is because it makes a mockery of the resurrection of the body. If you are a Christian— you believe in the resurrection of the body, not just that we're going to go to heaven, not just that our souls will be at peace and that we will behold the, the face of our creator in the beatific vision. You, you believe in the actual resurrection of the body. And this is very important to the way that we, well, the way that we view our bodies and our own behaviors and the way that we view creation in the world, that we're not just disembodied spirits, but the body really matters too. And the body and soul and spirit are united inextricably during our lives. They are separated at the moment of our death but that our bodies will be resurrected. And so I'm not making any eschatological claims about what it means uh, if one is cremated in the resurrection of the body. I am just pointing out as a matter of symbolism and the, the and ritual and um, the way that we treat our bodies in the creative world, the, the way that we interact with the physical things of this world to to cremate oneself is to mock the resurrection of the body. And so I would strongly advise against it. Next question. Mr. Nostradamus, this is Smiling Sam Alvey. I was listening to your show while driving my kids to their private school because we are done with the public school system. Uh, my little girl, nine years old, she was listening to you as we do most mornings and you started talking about eating bugs and how you know delicious they're supposed to be and stuff like that. That got her interested. That piqued her interest. And so she asked daddy, 
they want us to eat bugs? And I said, oh, yes, they do. And then turned into a whole conversation about how cows fart and causes global warming and how everything they do is just to try and find a way to control us, similar to the masks. They know they don't taste good, but they're going to force us to eat it just so they can say that they forced us to do it. And she looked up and said, well, Daddy, Joe Biden's not going to eat bugs, is he? And I could not have been more proud. It was a moment of, oh, she connected the dots. She knows that those in charge aren't going to eat bugs. They're just going to make us eat bugs, or try to anyways. I guess I always knew I was going to have that time where I had to talk about the birds and the bees with my daughter. But I guess it was today, but not the birds and the bees. It was the bugs and the bees. The bugs and the bees. So thank you for your work, and uh, we'll keep listening. Smiling Sam Alvey. All right. Uh, your daughter is very insightful obviously. Uh, yes, the elites who want to get us all to eat bugs, they will be eating filet mignon. That is true. As a general rule, that is true. And there's a caveat to this. I don't think that the elites regularly will eat bugs, but I do think that they will temporarily or uh, infrequently or even as a matter of initiation, eat the bugs. I think they will do it. You, you think of uh, that actress, uh, what is her name? The one who was married to Tom Cruise. I forget. She just did a whole video where she came out and ate a bunch of bugs and it was disgusting. You sometimes see uh, Bill Gates uh, came out and I think it was he drank a glass of water that came out of fecal matter or some, one of the, just some of the, all of these gross things, eating the bugs, living in excrement, all of this gross stuff. Sometimes the elites themselves do it and they do it in order to shatter a taboo. They do it for the same reason that uh, fraternities haze their pledges. Okay. They do it because it, it is a way to express and actually reinforce one's commitment to a group or to a secret society, or to a cult, which is probably more like it. So th that is the reason. Why are, they, why are they forcing us to eat the bugs? It's, it's not that they're thinking, look, we need new sources of protein, and yes, the bugs are gross, but that's what we have to do in order to get the protein. It's, it's actually the other way around. They're saying, man, we have a taboo in our culture against eating bugs. So if we want to upend the culture, we have to eat the bugs. We actually, we have to do it because it is so gross that will break the taboos because taboos and standards define cultures. And so when you, when you shatter them and you reorder them, you are reordering the culture in a very, very profound way. That's a lot of what's going on with the bug eating and the, the protein and the efficiency and getting all the poor masses to eat cheaper sources of protein and, uh, and creating a even greater inequality between the poor and the elites. That, that goes along with it, but I think the taboos are really central to it. Okay, next question. Hey, Knowles, Pete calling from uh, Nova Scotia, Canada. I work outdoors at night in utter darkness at a golf course, watering mostly, not that you ask, but I do have a request. Hey, let's cool it on the demons are everywhere all the time and out to get you rhetoric. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, I'm getting a little freaked out out here. I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure I just saw uh, Belphegor and three <laughs> lesser demons teeing off on four here, okay? Mm -hmm. Let's cool it down a shade. Thanks a lot, my friend. You're doing a great job. Always enjoy listening to you. Bye-bye now. An understandable objection, but I actually have a different take on it. When I was a teenager in my atheist, debauched, degenerate years, I was much more superstitious than I am now. 
I was much more spooked by the demons that I didn't think existed than I am now when I am convinced that demons really do exist and are surrounding us all the time because we're, we are surrounded by a, a, a battlefield. We are, we are actually in a battlefield of spiritual combat. The, the reason is because I believe that uh, Christ conquers death and sin on the cross and, uh, you know, St. Michael just stabs that dragon with the sword and Our Lady crushes the serpent underneath her heel. And uh, I think the game is won, you know, and Christ harrows hell. And so we're going to win. I'm on, I'm on the winning team. So I don't worry about those stupid little demons. I think of St. John Vianney, who was tormented by the devil. And he used to make fun of the devil. He was a, a, he's the patron of parish priests, and he was in this little town, Ars, in France, and he was tormented by the devil, and he would just make fun of him. He'd call him, you know, this little stupid guy, this little grappin, you know, oh, there he is again, here we go, you know, forget, ignore him, no big deal. Oh, he set my bed on fire, okay, no big deal. And I, I think that's the right attitude. I think uh, when people want to deny dangers and realities, they actually, whether they're physical or whether, whether they're metaphysical, they, they, they tend to get much more freaked out by it. You know, it's, it's kind of gets back to that old saying, if you believe in nothing, you'll fall for anything. But if you believe in something, especially if, if you believe in something true, then uh, you'll be much more grounded. I, I just find that the atheists tend to be the most superstitious people on earth. And they'll fall for any kind of weird new age manifesting, sending vibes, playing with my crystals, man, kind of stuff. And it's the Christians, especially the Christians who take the religion seriously, who are much more grounded. And you might expect it to be the opposite. You might expect Christians who believe in, you know, God and incarnation and choirs of angels and demons trying to attack us and take our soul. You might expect them to be really, really out there, but they're not. I mean, if you've just ever spoken to a a serious Christian who, who takes the religion seriously, they're the least superstitious people on earth. Okay, next question. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much for your advice on volunteering for a political campaign. My uncle is in the gun business and has connections with Andrew Clyde, who is campaigning for my district. So I'm going to volunteer with his campaign. Um, I have kind of a weird question today that involves singing in mass. So I'm Catholic. I go to mass every Sunday with my family and I sing at every mass along with my mom, my grandmother and my sister. Because we believe it is another almost higher form of prayer. However, most of the people who attend Mass do not sing, including my brothers. I've been trying to encourage my one brother to sing for a while now, but I think he's just too embarrassed since so many people in the church don't sing. I was wondering, what's your opinion on singing in Mass and do you have any advice on how I can convince him to sing? Thanks. Love the show. Thank you so much. Great question. Great to hear that you're on that campaign. And I have many thoughts on this question that you've just raised. I think it was St. Augustine who says that to sing well is to pray twice. So it's good to sing. It's good to sing in praise. But you're right. People in the what's called the new mass or the mass of Pope Paul VI, that's the mass that took, started in 1970 and has got, uh, replaced in most places the traditional Latin mass that had endured for almost two millennia. Uh, that mass, at that mass, people don't really sing that much, which is ironic because the point of that new mass uh, was to increase participation, and yet participation in many ways decreased. I think the reason for that, it's not just the, your brother's fault, and it's not just the, the fault of the people in the congregation. It's because the mass 
is, is really, the, the new form of that liturgy is much more shallow and much more effeminate. And the hymns that replaced the traditional chanting and the traditional hymns in the mass are really sappy, effeminate 1970s pop songs that make some references to God and are often heretical. And so it's, it, it, to me, uh, it's perfectly understandable that a young man would not want to sing some shallow, you know, song about, I will raise you up on eagle's wings. And first of all, that's, I won't raise anybody up on eagle's wings because I'm not God. So it's, the songs have theological problems and they're just so lame and sappy. They weren't even cool in the seventies. And so I'm not surprised at all. I'm not surprised that people don't want to participate in that, that really shallow kind of liturgy. And, and so what I would recommend, well, I, frequently recommend that people, uh, if, if you are Catholic, I would recommend you attend the traditional Latin mass if you can find one. Um, but, but if you can't, let's say you want to just keep going to your church and, you know, go to the, the mass of Paul VI. Okay, fine. Um, you might want to encourage the musical director there to bring back some sturdier, more masculine, more serious uh, hymns than the kind of silly stuff that came out of the 70s. Because that, it's, I, I, I get it. I get it. If I went to those masses, I wouldn't want to sing it either. <laughs> I, want, I, want to, I, I, I don't want to offend our Lord <laughs> but with, uh, with bad music, okay? I don't. Uh, insipid twaddle, as a priest friend of mine described a lot of those songs, all right? When uh, St. Augustine says to sing well is to pray twice, but to sing poorly, I don't know. I don't know what that comes down to. Okay, one, one uh, written question before we get into the member block. Michael, I only just started watching your show in the past few weeks. You've quickly become my favorite host by far, though. Thank you very much. That's very kind. Uh, here's a question. Should I engage in any sexual acts with my girlfriend before marriage? Now, all right, we're really jumping right to it. Uh, we've been dating for a little over five months. I love her. She's never asked for anything, and I don't plan on doing anything until we get married, if that happens. Frankly, I feel that anything more than making out is too much for dating and would make the relationship more complicated. Is there anything wrong with that? Thank you, Mr. Knowles, and have a nice day. So you're asking me how far around the bases you're allowed to run. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You should, you should not. You should refrain from sexual activity until you're married. Uh, most people do not do that, especially uh, people who were you know, kind of atheists for a lot of their youth. <laughs> but I, I will say some of those people, I think, regret their behaviors uh, when they go too fast, too far with a number of women. And I think it, it's a very special, wonderful thing if you can refrain from that kind of behavior until you get married. And the bonus of that is it will encourage you to get married sooner, which uh, usually, almost all the time, will be to your benefit. And it will at least uh, force you to think about whether or not you want to get married to this person. And if not, you can move on. That, that, certainly, that, that clarity will certainly be to your benefit. The rest of the show is continuing now. You do not want to miss it. If you are not a member Click on the link in the description and join us. We've got uh, five stories from the week, four real headlines, one fake headline. The producers have compiled them. I have to guess which is the fake headline. You have to guess which is the fake headline. The way the news cycle goes, it becomes very, very difficult. Plus, we got more mailbag, and I will hear from you live. Okay, we'll see you at the member block. 